Welcome to Refuge. It's a, <clears throat> it's a wonderful evening. Uh, I think uh, we have a few people who are joining us online instead of uh, here in person uh, just because of the, the common cold that actually uh, did survive these last, uh, this last year and a half, believe it or not. I know that, that according to uh, surveys and, and information that went out, we had absolutely, I think, no flu, uh, cases of the flu last year or uh, any common cold or anything. Every single one was uh, COVID. And so this year, apparently, it's making a comeback. And, uh, and so uh, it's just, uh, you know, a, a thing of fallen, fallen man. It's, we live in a fallen world, and, and we have these uh, these illnesses, and, and we deal with them. And so for those of you who are joining online, we're praying for you, and uh, we hope you get better soon. Um, <clears throat> this evening, we're going to continue our study through the book of Second Kings. Um, tonight, we're going to be in, in chapter 19. Chapter 19. Um, also, just to let everyone know, this Sunday... We're not doing anything, nothing like just extravagant over the top, um, but what we're doing this, this, uh, this Sunday is we're going to have a time of acknowledging God um, for um, what he has provided for and in the expansion of our church. And so we're going to, I have some things that I'll go over as far as scripture is concerned, and we're going to also pray. We're going we're gonna to just Praise the Lord, and we'll have some people um, say a few words. And um, if you have any pictures of the, uh, the the whole process from start to finish, um, or maybe somewhere in between, I would uh, ask you to perhaps forward them. Get uh, Isaac's email, or I don't know how you want to do it, Isaac. But uh, just a simple collage of the pictures. Is that fine? Okay, and we'll do that. If you need his email. Um, you can see me or, or talk to Isaac afterwards, and that way we can get some pictures. But it's just, we, we, you know, we were not sure what was going to happen. Uh, just going back maybe about six months or so, all I did was go in and ask the property manager if, uh, if they could keep us in mind, because I know that our lease here was up in a year and a half. At that time, it was a year and a half out. And I thought, well, you know, now's the time to put it in their ear, you know, put a little bug in their ear and tell them that in a, in a year and a half, I know when our lease comes up, maybe we can align this one along with the other one uh, that we have in the back for the youth. And, uh, and then maybe we can uh, get something a little bigger. And, uh, and lo and behold, the Lord had other plans. And right then and there, she was telling me how this suite over here uh, is is going to be available shortly, and and here we are now, and who would have thunk? And you know how it was that the Lord provided. I mean, um, this past Saturday, and how it was that uh, we were able to have our Christmas program, and it was a full house. Um, we had plenty of room up here for everyone to come up and sing and dance and do all the things that that uh, we did. And it was just a, a blessed time together, a fellowship. But we need to recognize that it was all honoring to the Lord and it was glorifying to him. And he has provided all of this. And, uh, and so we need to give him the glory. So that's what we're going to be doing uh, this Sunday. We'll have a little, uh, a little extra food as far as that's concerned. Because afterwards we're going to enjoy um, just uh, some extended time of fellowship. And I know we always extend that time of fellowship. But... Uh, but we're going to have food to enjoy it with some food and, and, uh, and just enjoy that. We're going to be breaking bread. So so anyway, so that's what's going on. Um, if you're not there, Second Kings chapter 19. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, just to kind of bring us up to speed. Last week we learned about Sennacherib, which is who, who is the king of Assyria. How it is that he had come up against Israel and then against he had taken Israel captive. And then here we have now uh, the king of Assyria coming against Judah. He's threatening Jerusalem. But he had already taken many of the fortified cities of Judah. Uh, Hezekiah, king of Judah, initially he capitulated. He kind of wavered a bit and tried to appease Sennacherib, if you remember, by giving him a, a lot of gold, a lot of silver, um, 
But we found out that uh, the king of Assyria wasn't interested in a partial payment, in a, in, um, a payout, you know. He wasn't interested in that whatsoever. What he desired is to completely oppress or take into captivity um, those in Jerusalem, all of the, the people of God. And, um, and we saw what he was doing with the northern kingdom, how it was that he was replenishing he was repopulating the northern kingdom with other nations. Um, Sennacherib uh, ended up sending a, uh, the Rabshakeh to uh, let Hezekiah know that full surrender was his only option. And if he hadn't, then Sennacherib was threatening to destroy Judah and take it away anyway. So whether you surrender or not, he was telling him, we're going to overtake you. We know that Sennacherib mocked the God of Israel uh, the Rabshakeh, and attempted to strike fear in the hearts of the people. So, so you remember the Rabshakeh was uh, basically the commander of the Assyrian army. And so he was the one who was in command of the whole army. And that's who we're referring to, Zenekra being the king of Assyria. And so they made every attempt to strike fear in the hearts of the people by openly mocking Israel and openly mocking their God. The, the three men who were sent by Hezekiah, Hezekiah himself did not come out to meet um, the Rabshakeh, but he sent three men to meet with him. And uh, as they met with him, uh, they came back and they were told, don't say a word, um, do not respond, but, uh, but rather to come back and bring word to King Hezekiah as to what they had been told. Um, so just to bring us up to, to speed here. So let's pray. Father, we want to commit this time of study into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, your anointing, that you would give us understanding. And Lord, there's so much to apply. Lord, always so much to apply. But again, Lord, I ask that you would help us to see uh, you in the midst of it all, your faithfulness, your compassion, your patience, your grace, your mercy, Lord, but also, Lord, what we're going to see is, is also your judgment, Lord, and, and um, how it is that you, you, are, um, you are love, but you're also righteous and you are just. And so we're, we'll see all of that. Help us to see that this evening. Also, Lord, uh, with Hezekiah this evening, uh, Lord, we see a, a great response that he had to all of this. And so I pray, Father, that perhaps we would align ourselves with the heart of Hezekiah. Lord, that we would uh, gain strength and be built up according to your word by, our, uh, by Hezekiah in a way, Lord, that blesses and glorifies you. And so, Father, we want to uh, once more commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so 2 Kings chapter 19 Verse 1 says, as soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and the senior priests covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. They said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of distress, of rebuke and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God heard all the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God, and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. When the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. I want to take Hezekiah's response and, and just break it down step by step because I believe it's of great importance for us to consider how exactly he responded to what was taking place. I, I think it's an important lesson for us to learn. Uh, it says in verse 1 again, as soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth 
and went into the house of the Lord. At the very beginning, we know that what Hezekiah had done up to this point, he had rebelled against the king of Assyria, uh, but then he kind of... um, he kind of softened a little bit, and he, he thought maybe a payment of a gold and silver would appease him. But yet, up, up to this point, we see how it is. He, yes, he's going back and forth just a little bit, but at the same time, he knows how to respond in this moment. Listen, for us, we're dealing with real people. It's not some made-up fantasy, you know, that, that, uh, that was written here. It's... it's Real live people, and I think that we can relate to someone like Hezekiah because here's the thing is sometimes we can seem so strong, and at other times we can capitulate just like Hezekiah did. And yet, when we come to our senses, when we come to our right mind, what happens is when we consider the Lord and when we consider His Word, when we are confronted with the reality of some of the circumstances that we are found in. This is exactly how we should respond. First of all, we see that there was this humility, a a humble grief that overwhelmed Hezekiah. He, at this very moment, acknowledged the severity of the situation. Hezekiah responded right on, spot on. He acknowledged that this was not something to take lightly. Because he understood that the enemy sought to completely annihilate them. Hezekiah knew that many cities had fallen to Assyria and knew that Jerusalem very well could be the next one to fall to Assyria. He didn't take it lightly. He didn't dismiss it. He went into a time of of mourning. He was grieving. He had a a broken and contrite spirit. Church, I can tell you that that's lacking in the church today. There's a lot of pride. There's there's a lot of self-centeredness. There's a lot of, at, at the moment, you can be strong in the word as long as everything is going good. But the moment, perhaps, you have some opposition, all of a sudden, you're, you're... you're pushing the word away and you're, you're wanting to basically sit in your own pride and, and, and insist on your own way. I, I know that to be true. Now he responded well. He was broken. Hezekiah remembered that he had rebelled against Syria and he refused to serve him at one point. And it was, get this, it was because of that action that he took against Assyria that they were in the position that they were in at this moment. It was because of that that Judah was at this very moment in jeopardy. Oh, how often people go straight to claiming God's grace and mercy without humbling themselves and acknowledging that they are in a predicament that requires a state of brokenness. You know, that's how we can kind of treat things lightly. You know, is God gracious? Absolutely. Is he compassionate? Absolutely. Is he merciful? Yes, he is. But listen, we cannot directly go to that without humbly coming to him and saying, Lord, I am in desperate need of you at this very moment. I am not in a good situation. My circumstances are extremely difficult. If we go straight to claiming God's grace and mercy without humbling ourselves, it is to err greatly. Because it denies accountability. It avoids a humble seeking of God in the matter. You dismiss it entirely. That's what we tend to do. Oh, God is gracious. You know, right, right away we go to 1 John 1, 9. 
And, and if our hearts are not broken and contrite, if we're not full, full of grief and, and mourning, what happens is we go to 1 John 1, 9 and, and because it says if we, confess, um, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? And yes, does he do that? Absolutely. But if we're not sincere in our grief and our mourning, our grieving over the sin or, or whatever it is that we're up against, then that's just going through the motions. It's no different than going through the motions for anything else. And perhaps we're not even sorry. Secondly, something else that Hezekiah did well is that he went into the house of the Lord, listen, instead of blaming God and running away from God. He went to God. Grief can lead us into a serious, self-centered tailspin away from God. Did you know that? Not allowing ourselves to truly yield to God's power and help through his people and his word and even his spirit. Because his spirit will lead us to all truth. Truth leads us into a time of fellowship with the Lord and with the saints. So Hezekiah's response was, again, just awesome. It was great. A great example of how to respond to things, a situation that seems overwhelming. It was right. As he rightly discerned that this was a critical time to seek the Lord. Not to run away from the Lord, but to run to the Lord. And so he went to the house of the Lord to humbly seek him. Thirdly, he sought the word of God. Verse 2 says, And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household of Shebna, the secretary, and the senior priest covered with sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. This is all to seek God's word. What, what does God say about this? These men who were representing him, Eliakim, Shebna, and the senior priests, as we see here, they, they were going representing him accurately. They were also covered in sackcloth. They were in a state of mourning. And they went to Isaiah to seek the Lord's word in this matter. What does the Lord have to say about this? Hezekiah, notice, Hezekiah did not seek his own heart. He didn't pay attention to his emotions, nor did he allow himself to withdraw from the authority of God's word, but rather he sought it out. That's what he did. He reached out to his trusted companions and fellow servants and sent them to Isaiah with an inquiry, desiring to hear from God. Now, I have to say as I as I go through those steps, that I have to think about that for myself. We, we're, we're all in this. We need to look at God's word and we need to look at examples like this. And we need to realize sometimes when we get into those places to where we want to look within, when we want to recoil from the Lord, we ought to dismiss those emotions. We ought to dismiss those feelings and instead persevere and move forward and do that which is right in the eyes of the Lord. Well, Hezekiah goes on to de describe the situation and, and he describes it accurately. Verse 3 says, They said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God heard all the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. This is, as he described, a day of distress, a day of rebuke, and a day of disgrace. A day of distress because they are in imminent danger. He recognizes that. He doesn't dismiss it. He recognized this is, this is imminent danger. Assyria could come and besiege Jerusalem at any given time. 
He regarded it as a day of rebuke because it may be the beginning of judgment or deliverance, but nothing is assumed as being one or the other. He didn't know. Is it a day of deliverance or is it a day of judgment? I don't know. But he certainly knew it was a day of rebuke for he was caused to go into a state of mourning himself. It was also a day of disgrace because the people are, were, were at that point filled with fear and grief in the anticipation of destruction and possibly being taken captive. You know, woe to those who proclaim that all is well. Don't worry about anything. All is well. Just eat, drink, and be merry. Listen. When there is something to forewarn about, we need to forewarn. We, we need to sound the alarm. We need to uh, warn people. We do a disgrace, a disservice. We are a disgrace and we, and we do a disservice when we don't do that. And so he, he knew, hey, listen, it's, it's disgraceful. Why? Because the people are filled with fear. They don't even have enough, the women don't even have enough strength as they come to that time of giving birth to their child to actually deliver. They have, their hearts have completely melted because of what they have come to know. But Hezekiah's hope is placed in the Lord and he communicates that to Isaiah, the man of God. And then he asks him to Perhaps pray this, what's called an imprecatory prayer. An imprecatory prayer is a prayer of invoking judgment, calamity, or curses upon one's enemy, um, also assuming or perceiving that they are God's enemies as well. And this is found throughout Scripture, especially throughout the Psalms. Psalm 50, I'll give you two examples of imprecatory prayers. Psalm 55, 15 says, let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. Psalm 69, 28, let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. And so for Hezekiah, he was hoping that the Lord has, had heard the Rabshakeh's blasphemous tirade and takes offense and punishes him and punishes Assyria. That judgment comes upon them. Again, believing, perceiving that they were God's enemies. Therefore, Hezekiah was asking for Isaiah to pray a prayer of intercession on their behalf on behalf of the remnant that had not yet been taken into captivity. And Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. I don't know how many times I've heard those very words ring in my ears and my heart. Reminding me, as the Lord has reminded me of the very same thing, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the servants of the, and you can just replace as far as the servants of the king of Assyria, with, with which the servants of the enemy have reviled the Lord. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of their words. It was with these words that Hezekiah must have been deeply encouraged. At this point, the Lord was telling Hezekiah that he would take care of it, that he would take care of things with Assyria. He and the people, uh, he and his people, 
He, that meaning the Rapshika and the Assyrian army, would be confused. They would hear these rumors. They would go back to their land and they would fall by the sword in their own land. Just let him alone and this will come to pass. You know, Psalm 57, 6 says, They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. Hezekiah left it in God's hand. That is exactly what he did. And we'll, we'll read about that as we continue. And we, we asked the question, what rumor are they going to hear? Well, they're going to hear that uh, Tirica had invaded Assyria. That's in, found in verse 9. We're going to read it in a few moments. And then fall by the sword. Yes, in verse 35, as we'll read that in a few moments. Says, in that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. You see, what God can do far exceeds what we can think or imagine when we seek Him and we allow Him to fight our battles and we just wait for Him. We just trust in Him. Verse 8. The Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he heard that the king had left Lachish. Now the king heard concerning Turekah, king of Cush. Uh, behold, he has set out to fight against you. So he sent messengers against, uh, again to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the king, kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed, Gozan, Haran, Rezef, and the people of Eden who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvaim, the king of Hena, or the king of Iva? So the Rabshakeh returns to Assyria only to find the king of Assyria fighting in the middle of a battle, fighting against Libna. And then he hears at that, at that point that Tirica, king of Cush, that is uh, this is an Ethiopian king who was taking Egyptian troops and advancing north uh, toward Jerusalem. Now, this is exactly what the Rabshakeh was mocking Hezekiah about, uh, how it was that it was futile. He was telling him, it's futile for you to trust in Egypt. But this was a rumor that God had used to split them up, and that is the Assyrian army. He had used to split them up from battle against Libna and set them up to be struck down in their own land. But at this very moment, you would think that perhaps because of what is happening, they would retreat and kind of regroup, but they didn't. The commander of the Syrian army, what happened is he doubled down. He sent word to Hezekiah, and it was not a, a good word. It wasn't, hey, I'll see you later. I'm going to retreat for a while. He, no, he, he sent word to them in order to infuse some fear into their hearts, to discourage them, and to drive it within them despair. That is a hopelessness. He sent messengers to threaten him and to strike fear into his heart by giving him examples of Assyria's past victories over fortified cities and nations. You think you're any better? I want to remind you, do not trust in your God. He will not be able to deliver you. Let me give you some examples of all these nations that we've conquered already. Do you think you're any different? You know, this is a word straight from the depths of hell. John 8, 44 says, You are of your father the devil, and your, your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We know that this is a lie. Why? 
Because word came from God through the prophet Isaiah. God had already spoken. And this man was clearly, and the Assyrians were clearly enemies of the one true living God. Listen, when people twist the truth and refuse to acknowledge it, it is because they cannot bear to hear God's word. This is in refer reference to John chapter 8. Uh, because either they're not of God, according to John 8, 47, or they are in a state of rebellion and are acting like the enemy of God. That's a really frightful place to be. When you refuse God's word, when you push back, when you rebel against it, you're not, you're not behaving in a way that reflects a spirit-filled person who desires to honor and glorify the Lord. You're actually doing the, the work of the enemy. That's why I said the very first thing that Hezekiah did for us, for us it is a great lesson. It is the first point. It is that place where we need to be to have a broken and contrite heart before God to allow Him to do His work within us. This man, the commander of the Syrian army, was continually coming against God's people. He was mocking God, uttering false statements, and attempting to undermine them. And basically, the bottom line, he was, what he was doing was he was trying to soften them up in order to destroy them. You know, John 10.10 10 says, and these are the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he said, the thief comes only, only. It's not anything else, but he only comes to steal and kill and destroy. He said, I came that they may have life and have, have it abundantly. So remember that. If, if, it's, if it's stealing life away from you, if it's removing you from, from honoring and glorifying the Lord, that is not the character of God. If it's killing or destroying your relationship with the Lord, it is not of the Lord. It is nowhere close to it. Well, just as the rapture doubled down, so does Satan. Satan doesn't give up. Hey, listen, until he's thrown into the lake of fire, until all of that takes place and he is forever condemned, removed, he will, he will not cease to come after all of us. He seeks to steal, steal, kill, and destroy until that time when he is put away for the rest of time. Satan may be actually more consistent and committed to your destruction than unfortunately, oftentimes, our abiding in Christ, our grieving the wretchedness of our hearts, and our humbly trusting in the Lord and being led by his spirit and his word. That's why he waits for that little opportune time. That moment when you let down your guard, when you're filled with the flesh, when you're self-centered, when you're filled with pride, and it's that moment that he strikes us. We always need to have our guard up. We need to have, we can have those moments and we do. I mean, I was just talking to my wife earlier today and I don't know why there's like this time, it brings me great joy. But, you know, sometimes, you know, there are so many things that come at you that you just, you're not feeling it. You're, you're just, there's those moments to where maybe it's just me. It's just how I feel at times to where I just, I feel down. I feel just blue. But it's speaking with her. It's praying and then being reminded of who God is in my life. That I need, I personally need to quickly snap out of it and, and just recognize who God is in that moment. Because it's in those moments that, that the enemy can, can sneak in and, and he can wreak havoc in my life. And that can impact so many other people. And so we need to get serious about our relationship with the Lord. We need to recognize those moments and snap out of them quickly.
quickly. We need to learn how to consistently abide in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone." So Hezekiah, again, something else for us to consider. Hezekiah uh, received the letter, read the letter, and then what did he do immediately following? He brought the letter to the Lord. You know, Psalm 46, 1 through 3 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth is transformed and the mountains are toppled into the depths of the seas, though their waters roar and foam and the mountains uh, quake in the surge. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He brought it directly to the Lord because he knew who it was that could help him. You know, here's a, a lesson with that. You know, he could have complained. He could have gone to other people uh, to talk about it, uh, to perhaps uh, be overwhelmed with uh, the fear of other people, uh, uh, receive counsel from others that may have not encouraged him to continue going on. Who knows? But listen, for us, we need to learn at that moment to where we need some counsel, we need some direction to stop going to people and spreading something, uh, whether it be uh, fear, gossip, division, things like that, because we can be those people. We, go, we do a lateral move. We do a lateral move and we go to someone that cannot even help us. He didn't go to anyone. He didn't do a lateral move. He advanced. He went straight to the only one who could help him. He went to the Lord. And he laid it all. Can you imagine? He, he took this letter and he laid it out before God. I don't know if it's in a literal sense. But I think this is awesome. That he took the letter and he just laid it out. Lord, you see all things. Or I don't know if he took it and he, and he came to the house of the Lord and he read it. He laid it out before him. But at that very moment, I, I appreciate Hezekiah's heart. He was acknowledging there's no other God. There's no other God but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Father God, you're the creator of the universe. You have delivered us from the hand of Pharaoh. You dried up the rivers in Egypt. Hezekiah prayed. He sought the Lord. He pleaded with the Lord. He asked him, please consider the words of your servant. Incline your ear to me, please, Lord. And then he asked him, please consider also the words of Sennacherib. Here's a letter. Because he 
has sent to mock the living God. Yes, Hezekiah, he realized, he acknowledged that they had known victories over many fortified cities and and nations, peoples. But salvation belongs to the Lord. And this is what he was confessing. He was confessing. He was seeking the Lord. He was trusting the Lord. He was was pleading with the Lord. Lord, you are the one. You are are, uh, the one to whom salvation belongs. You can deliver us. And he was asking for him to deliver them from the Assyrians, to deliver them from their threats that had been made upon them. Mocking God. That his name, that the Lord's name, God's name, would be exalted. And that all would know that there is only one God. I love that. You know, there's nothing better than in who we are and the actions that we take. That God be honored and glorified. Whatever the results are, may they all be to glorifying God. And that's what Hezekiah was seeking. That's what he was desiring. Hey, listen, God, I'm pleading with you, but it's also that your name would be glorified. Hezekiah was not seeking his own glory, but rather God's glory in it and through it all. Because he acknowledged that only he could deliver them. And he he was asking God to do that very thing. Verse 20, then as Isaiah, the son of Amos, Sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. She despises you. She scorns you. The virgin daughter of Zion. She wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice? And lifted your eyes to the heights against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you have mocked the Lord. And you have said, with my my many chariots I have gone up the heights of the mountains to the far recesses of Lebanon. I felled its tallest cedars, its choicest cypresses. I entered its farthest lodging place, its most fruitful forest. I dug wells and drank foreign waters, and I dried up with the sole of my foot all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard that I determined determined it long ago? I planned from days of old, what now I bring to pass, that you should turn fortified cities into heaps of ruins, while their inhabitants, shorn of strength, are dismayed and confounded, and have become like plants of the field and like tender grass, like grass on the housetops, blighted before it is grown." But I know you're sitting down and you're going out and coming in and you're raging against me because you have raged against me and your complacency has come into my ears. I will put my hook into your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. Now, in this moment, note that Hezekiah had not gone to Isaiah the second time. And the second uh, time that he went to the Lord, he didn't go to Isaiah first, but rather he went straight to the house of the Lord. And then God gave Isaiah a response to give to Hezekiah according to his prayer. It was according to his prayer. It was in response to his prayer. The, the point of that is that the effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The, the Lord tells us to pray. It's effective. He desires to hear from us. And this was in response to that prayer. What if Hezekiah would not have prayed? What if he had taken matters into his own hands? I think things would have been much different. They would have changed a bit as far as that's concerned. Now, the Lord's overall plans cannot be thwarted. But perhaps specifics that we see here would have been a bit different. What if, um, what if Esther would have chosen to not step forward in faith? Well, she was warned, if not you, the Lord will raise someone else up. 
The, the only thing that, that we do when we don't pray, when we don't act in a way that brings glory to God, if we don't seek Him, if we don't step out in faith, what happens is we're the ones that lose out on, the, on that blessing. We're the ones that lose out because we, we are disobedient to whatever the Lord wants us to do. But the Lord desires for us to act in obedience, to be used by Him. It's an honor. It's a privilege. It's amazing that the creator of the universe, that He desires to use any of us. You can't help to ask the question, what if Hezekiah had not prayed, sought the Lord, just taken matters into his own hands? Perhaps Hezekiah and Jerusalem would have been taken in that instant. Perhaps it would have been a bit different. But Isaiah sent word to Hezekiah to tell him that the Lord has heard, had heard his prayer concerning the king of Assyria. Assyria. Again, the question is about prayer. Listen, prayer is effective. We know that. It's interesting. I, I don't... It's amazing to me that God would consider us at all. That he would incline his ear to man. But he does. He, he wants that relationship with us. He, in that prayer, he wants us to align our hearts with his. And it pleases him. Get this. It pleases him when we pray and we do align our hearts with his. We are told in scripture, in fact, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, to pray without ceasing. That is not, you know, dropping down on our knees and closing our eyes and praying, but in every moment acknowledging the Lord, it's having this ongoing conversation with God to where you're asking him in this moment, Lord, I need to be directed by you. I need to be led by the Spirit. I'm asking you this in this moment, please give me discernment. Help me to choose the right thing. Perhaps sometimes it's in the moment as you're praying and you're in a conversation, the, the, the Lord tells us, be quiet, Right? I know he does that with me often. You know your own thoughts. In conversations, sometimes it's, it's like you're moving forward to, to speak and the Lord's saying, no, son. And you know what you're doing in that moment? If, you're, if you stop, it's because you're praying, you're seeking the Lord in that moment. And you knew that what you were going to say, it wasn't right now. Do we do that in uh, being led by the Lord and then we, we, we don't do it or we do it? It's not, it doesn't always come out perfect, does it? But I'm telling you that as we pray, as we're con continuously praising, praying the Lord, what happens is we find ourselves being led by the Spirit more and more. Listen, God desires that we trust in Him. That's what it's an expression of. That we lean on him constantly. That he may do his effective work in our lives. That's what that points to. Well, <clears throat> verses 21 through 28 is what we read. This was what God had to say to Assyria. He said, Jerusalem despises you. Jerusalem despises Assyria? Yes. Why? Because Assyria was the enemy of God. Jerusalem was also, he was, they, they were also told, Jerusalem has a vantage point. They are, this is God's chosen place to dwell in. They have the vantage point. And then he also asked, do you, do you not know who you're mocking or reviling? His answer, you're, you're coming against the Holy One of Israel. That would only matter if he actually believed in their God. That he acknowledged the God of Hezekiah. He told them that their pride had been lifted up. But God would bring them low. For no one compares to him. There's none like him. He told them, he knows what you have said. And you will be brought low. 
The question for all of this as we went through it, the question is, so was this a letter sent to the Rabshakeh or the king of Assyria, the commander of the Assyrian army or any of the leaders of Assyria? I, I don't see anything that says that this was brought to them. I think this was more for Hezekiah and for the sake of God's people. You see, God doesn't owe his enemies a heads up. Can you imagine if, if like, let's say, for instance, uh, in, a, in a battle, you know, we're going up against um, whoever. And, uh, and we ended up, you know what, just because of the, the rules of battle, we're going to just let them know. We're going to strike tomorrow at 9 o'clock. We're going to be coming in. And uh, we're going to, yes, we're going to flank you. Um, it kind of tease you a little bit, you know, to the north, but actually come at you from the west. So just so you know, that's, do we do that? Absolutely not, right? We, we don't do that with the enemy. And, and so... God does not owe his enemies a heads up. Uh, just, I want to inform you of what's going on. And so I would imagine that this was more for the sake of Hezekiah and for the remnant that was there in Jerusalem. God's word is for God's people and for the blessing of all those who recognize it as God's word and are drawn to God. It is for the benefit and blessing of others as it has blessed me. Even prior to me coming to the Lord, I remember it being spoken to me. But this word is directed to you and I. It is speaking to us and this is how we ought to handle ourselves. This is how to, to glorify and honor and worship God. This is how you lead others. You know, as, as you do the work of an evangelist, you testify that Jesus is the Son of God. That He is the one who was foretold of in the Old Testament and was fulfilled in the New Testament and how He went to the cross. This is for us to learn and to understand and to pass along to others and them come into that place to where they come to believe and follow and be discipled, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Listen, God has all of this under control. And what he was saying with all of this, as he laid this all out through the, through the prophet Isaiah, he was saying just to trust in him. None of this had come to fruition at this time. He was just simply saying, this is how it's going to happen. Just trust, just trust that I will make this happen. Verse 29, and this shall be the sign for you. This year eat what grows of itself, and in the second year what springs of the same. Then in the third year sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord will do this. So they, they weren't going anywhere. And this is what God was, was telling them. that uh, what, Hey, listen, what you have left, go ahead and partake of it. It'll suffice. Next year, do the same thing. Don't worry about sowing or planting in those two years until the third year. It will come back. You will be fruitful, but this remnant will go out. God will not leave them nor forsake them. And this was a sign that God gave to Hezekiah to know that God was speaking to him in regard to Assyria. Again, just God's faithfulness in how it is that he desires to encourage his people to take heart. Don't fear. Be courageous. Move forward. Verse 32 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. And he shall not come into the city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. 
As I said earlier, the threat uh, to Jerusalem was to besiege it, to um, basically strangle it uh, of food and water. And th this is what they would do. Uh, there would be forces that would come against a fortified city. They could stop um, all food from coming in, any exchange of goods. Um, if they were able to perhaps even stop the source of water from coming in, then that at some point they would become weak and they would be forced to either surrender or they would all be uh, conquered. They would all be killed. But God said that Assyria, and this is what he said, Assyria will not set foot in Jerusalem. And that he would defend the city for the sake of his own glory and for and, and in saying that for the sake of his own glory, he was also saying, for the sake of my word that I gave to King David. And so he was honoring his word. He was making sure that his own glory was preserved as he honored his word to David. And so he himself said, I will defend the city. There's no one that can defend like the Lord. And so we ought to plead with him and seek him that he may defend us in our time of need. So verse 35 says, In that night the angel of the Lord went out, and this is the conclusion, this is where it all comes together, and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. And he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god. Adramelech and Sherezer, his sons, struck him down with the sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. And Esaradon, his son, reigned in his place. You know, we can say God said so, and so it was. And that, and that, that was... It was done. This all happened just as God said it would. Sennacherib, well, even after, even in that place of 185,000 Assyrians were struck down in their camp, Sennacherib was not a part of the 185,000. He was actually spared. He was allowed to go to Nineveh. He was worshiping his God. But he was allowed to go. He was spared only to suffer, suffer a greater death at the hands of his own sons. A, a, a disgraceful death. Nonetheless, judgment had come upon him. It was complete. God is faithful. And it, it was as God said it would be. Remember how Hezekiah responded to the difficult circumstances he found himself in. But as I said at the very beginning, also, I hope that you kept your eye on the Lord and saw how it was that he was faithful. There's, there's Isaiah. There, there are those three faithful men who came alongside Hezekiah who represented him well before Isaiah, how was that um, they were in a time of mourning themselves? They came alongside Hezekiah. They were sharing in that grief, but they were seeking the Lord. They were trusting in the Lord. Hezekiah prayed and he sought the Lord. And even though the circumstances seemed dire, he knew that the only one that could deliver them from such circumstances was the Lord and so he sought him. Hezekiah was humble in his grief. He went to the house of the Lord instead of running away from the Lord. And also he sought the word of God. This is what had authority in his life. And he sought it. He wanted to know what it was that the Lord had to say about this difficult matter. You know, Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Having a contrite heart means recognizing our sinfulness and brokenness. It means being humble and teachable. It means realizing that only God and following His way 
can turn things around for us. Being crushed, being bruised, and being broken is actually a prerequisite for being healed, forgiven, and transformed. Father, I pray that that would be our hearts, that we would, Lord, consider ourselves. Lord, in, in the state sometimes that we're in, Lord, the circumstances that we're faced with, Lord, sometimes, Lord, they are absolutely overwhelming. Lord, I pray that we do not dismiss them. We do not take them lightly, Lord, that we would acknowledge them for what they are. Lord, that we would look to you. That we would have those humble, broken, and contrite hearts before you. Pleading with you and knowing that the only one who can deliver us from such things is is you, Lord. And at the same time, Lord, help us to be strong and faithful to you. Not losing heart. But expressing a courage and a confidence in you that acknowledges that you are able to do anything. And so, Father, forgive us of our sins, Lord. Pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit and help us to walk in a manner worthy of our repentance, Lord, that sacrifice of your Son. May we bless you and honor you. We pray this all in Jesus' name.